0: Well, good morning again. Good to see you here this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Ryan. I get to serve as one of our pastors here at West Cabarrus Church. We're going to continue through this series, Believe and Live Through the Gospel of John. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do, go ahead and make your way to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we started it last week. We're going to finish chapter 5 today. And in the past, when we've looked at large sections of scripture like this, we read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, and talk about it. And that's what we're going to do again today. And if you are a guest, just thank you again for being with us. Grateful to have you here to worship. Or if you're tuning online for the first time, special welcome to you also. And uh, we'll, we'll start by just thinking about this week coming up. Uh, this week on Thursday, whether you realize it or not, it's St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is this Thursday. And this is what comes to our mind when we think about St. Patrick's Day, right? Like leprechauns and shamrocks and green and pots of gold and rainbows, like that's what comes to our mind for St. Patrick's Day. But what's really unique about this holiday is if you actually go look at the history of this, it's a powerful story. It's really uh, amazing to see what God did through Patrick in the past. And so if you're not familiar with that story, I'm going to share with you now. Because hopefully this week, as you look at it on Thursday, you'll think back to this just picture of God's grace and his mercy. But, but Patrick was actually uh, human trafficked. He was stolen Um, from his family in Britain and was taken away into slavery. So in Ireland, he was a slave for six plus years over there. And while he was over there as a slave, it was interesting because somebody, I don't know if it was a a fellow friend or I I don't know how, but he heard the gospel for the first time. And while he was a slave there, he believed in Jesus Christ. He heard the truth, he believed the truth, and it changed his life. And several years went by and and Patrick actually was able to escape his slavery. He went back home after a long journey. He went back home to Britain and he's like, man, Jesus has changed me. So what I wanna do is I wanna study and know more about him. So he went into seminary and started to learn and started to study the Bible. what was interesting is God was working on his heart and his mind. God was also leading him to share the good news of Jesus with more and more people. So at one point, Patrick was like, man, I've got such a burden for people that don't know Jesus that he's like, I, I, I need to go back to Ireland. I need to go back to the people that enslaved me, people who had beaten me, people who tried to murder me, and I need to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Huh. I mean, that's amazing that he would do that. He even wrote in his journal, he said, as he's sharing the gospel with the Irish, he says, daily I expect to be murdered or betrayed or reduced to slavery Again, but then he also wrote, but I fear nothing. I do not fear death and I do not feel, fear slavery because of the promises of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's an amazing and true story about Patrick. It's about somebody who's willing to risk their lives to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else. Now it was interesting, if, if you knew that somebody was trying to beat you or enslave you or you feel like they're going to be murdered, you're going to be murdered by them. And what would you do? I mean, our default is either fight or flight, right? If I know somebody's going to try to hurt me and harm me and kill me, I'm going to either fight back or I'm going to run away. But what we found is something different in Patrick's life. We find something different, far different, in the life of Christ. You see, Patrick was willing to risk his life for those that may kill him. Jesus knew that he was going to give his life for those who hated him and wanted to kill him. You see, Patrick's story is just a ripple in the pond where the stone of the life of Christ is placed. You see in this passage, starting in verse 18, we'll read it in a second, but it says, it sets the context for us that the Jews were seeking even the more to kill him. Jesus knew these people were trying to kill him. The disciples knew it. People in the culture knew it. They knew that these people were out to kill him. Now what would your response be? Now I found it fascinating, Jesus' response. I want us to look at a couple verses that are going to help us understand this, this whole speech. This is one setting, one context that Jesus is speaking in response to these people that are desiring to kill him. I want you to look at verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Then in verse 34, not that this testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things to you so that you may be saved. These people coming to kill Jesus, his response is, hey, listen to me because I desire for you to be saved. And not just saved, I desire for you to have life and life everlasting. So that's the context, that's what we need to understand about everything that Jesus is going to say in this passage. So let's look, starting in verse 18. It says, this was why the the Jews were seeking even more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Son does, or whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Let's stop there for now. Let's pray. Lord, would you remove every obstacle to our belief today. Would you remove the external pressures that would distract us from believing in you? would you also quiet the internal anxieties that would mute your whisper to us today? Father, would you speak through your word to our lives and change us, I pray. Now let me invite you to pray something similar praying that God would speak to you today through his word and change your life would you pray and ask him now and would you pray for me also does that open up this this passage of Jesus' plea for us to believe and find life that I would communicate it just in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus today. Would you pray for me now? Lord, would you help us to hear, to believe and to find eternal life in you today? It's in your name we ask, amen. All right, this section, and we only read a part of it, we're going to finish chapter 5 today. But if you're looking for like cliff notes, kind of sum it all up and wrap it up into one verse, it's verse 24. Everything that we see unpacked around it all revolves around what Jesus is saying in verse 24. And so if you have your scripture journals with John or if you have your Bible, would really encourage you to underline or circle these because it's going to help you understand everything that Jesus is saying in this context. But in verse 24, Jesus says several things. He says, so I say to you, whoever hears my word, that's the first word, hear. Whoever hears my word, second, and believes him who sent me, believes is the second word. Whoever hears, whoever believes, third word, has eternal life, life, life. That's what Jesus is unfolding To these people who are trying to kill him, this is Jesus' response to them: "You're trying to kill me. You're coming after me. I want you to hear something. I want you to hear something that that is incredibly important for both now and eternity. And I want you not just to hear it, but I want you to believe it. I want you to live it out in your life. And as you hear it and as you believe it, you'll find eternal life. And so I want us to walk through those three things as we look at this passage today. First, let's hear the words of Jesus." Let's hear the words of Jesus. Well, Jesus said a lot, Ryan. Jesus is speaking this whole passage, so what is it that Jesus wants us to hear? Well, all of this is built on the foundation of verse 18, that Jesus is making himself equal with God, that Jesus is God. Jesus has been saying that God is his Father. Now, in Jewish culture and as well as in Roman culture, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. We lose it in our culture today. But John clarifies for us. He says when he's calling God his father, he's making himself equal with God. You see, in the Roman culture and in the Jewish culture at this time, the eldest son and the only only son would receive all the father's wealth, all the father's status, all the father's positions, all of it. And so when Jesus is saying that God is his father, he's like, I'm equal with God the Father, for I am God. Jesus is clearly claiming that he is God and equal with him in every way. Now Jesus, in this commentary with these people, what we see is that he's given three reasons that he's equal with God, three ways that he's equal with God. He's equal with God the Father in every way, but he highlights three right here. First, he's equal in works with the Father. He's equal with works. In verse 19, it says, whatever the Father does, the Son does. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Jesus is saying when he makes this statement, I only heal because it's the Father who heals. I provide for daily needs because the Father provides for daily needs. I save because the Father is saving. I work because the Father is working. I never sin because the Father never sins. Jesus' claim in this moment is that if we could look at the entirety of the Bible and and look at the Old Testament, look at the New Testament, we'd see every act that God is doing, Jesus paralleling. To prove to us that he is God. I mean, think about it for just a minute. Just a few of the things that Jesus did that we find in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament we see that God parted the Red Sea. And we see Jesus walk on the sea. We see God feed the people in the wilderness in the Old Testament. We see Jesus, next week we'll see it, he feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness. God provides water for thirsty people in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Jesus provides water for thirsty souls and even a drink for those at a wedding. God in the Old Testament healed people in miraculous ways, and Jesus heals people. You see, all these things in the Old Testament, all these ways that God is working, Jesus is saying, I'm doing the same thing because the Father and I are one. He is equal with the works of the Father. But not only in the works of the Father, He's also equal with the judgment of the Father. You see, he mentions judgment several times in this passage that I read, and we'll see it several more times before we finish chapter 5. But Jesus is saying, as the Father judges, so I will judge. Now, it's interesting. You might be sitting here thinking, well, Ryan, wait a second. I thought, like, Jesus said, do not judge unless you be judged, right? So, like, how is Jesus saying that there's judgment that's going to happen and at the same time telling us that we can't judge anybody? Well, Jesus is the only one that can judge. Why? Why? For he is God. He's God. And he can say, Don't judge unless you be judged by the same standard. See, Jesus' judge was a pure and perfect, holy standard. And if you took it and turned it around on him, he would still be perfect and innocent on that standard and on that judgment. Because he is pure and perfect, holy God. Holy, holy, holy. He's perfect. And for us as believers, we don't judge, we don't have the right to judge. Only Jesus has that right because he is God. Now we look at our culture and we look at our world and we say this is right and this is wrong, but not based on our feelings or our past or the current culture. We look at the words of Jesus and we're like, yes, this is right and this is wrong. We look at the words of God and we say, yes, this is right and this is wrong. We are not the judge. We just look at the one who has already judged and deemed these things to be right and these things to be wrong. We stand there and we, we, We communicate those truths because it comes from a heart of love from a just judge and this is what he's saying right here the father has given me every right to judge for I am a just judge you see in his his justice and in his judgment he can see all things and this is the beauty of the gospel you see Jesus knows our sin He knows our brokenness. He knows when we rebel against him and and commit treason against him. And we talked about it a few weeks ago in John chapter 3. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But that through him they might have life. In this moment, Jesus isn't coming to condemn these people who are trying to kill him. He's coming and begging for them to find life. You see, God will convict us of our sin. So that we can be changed and live differently. And this is what's happening in this moment. This is who Jesus is. And this is the beauty of it. You see, he's the, the one who's a just judge, the lion who roars and will destroy sin. At the same time, he is the lamb of God who came to take on the sin of the world. This is who Jesus is. Because he is God. He's God. And the third thing is, in this passage of verse 23, is that we see that Jesus is equal in honor with the Father. So he's equal in the works of the Father. He's equal in the judgment of the Father, but he's also equal in honor with the Father. In verse 23, he's clear. He says, Jesus, honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is a bold, bold claim that Jesus is making right here. This word for honor could also be used for worship. He's saying, hey guys, you've you've read... You you honor God. If you honor him and you worship him, you need to realize that you need to honor and worship me. What? Who has the audacity to make that claim? Jesus does because he is one with the father. He's God. He's equal with them. He's like, so just how you worship him. You should worship me. Man, Jesus wants us to hear these truths today because it does change the way that we live. When we hear these words, we hear Jesus speak, what it does is two things. One, it reveals to us the glory of who our God is. This is Jesus. We get to see him unveiled. We see God in his love and his mercy and his might and his justice. We see it, but at the same time, we see our root for sin. We see our root for sin. You see, Jesus says right here, honor the Son just as you honor the Father. But our default is not to honor the Father. Our default is to honor ourselves. You see, we as human beings would rather honor ourselves than to honor the King, the true King. We decide we need to sit on the throne of our lives and we'll be the King. We'll make the decisions between right and wrong and we'll do what we want to. And in this cruelty and this rebellion against Jesus, against God, the creator of our very lives and our Redeemer, Jesus looks at us with grace and mercy and he's like, I want you to believe. I want you to see. I want you to find life. I mean, many of us right now, right now, you know the areas that you're not submitting to God as the Lord of your life. You read this passage where it says, honor me as you honor God because I am God. And we're like, God, I'll honor you in these areas, but not that area. Not gonna do it. And Jesus is pleading with you this morning. Not as a beggar, but as the almighty God who's a just judge for us to hear his words, to repent and believe and find life and life everlasting. You see, when Jesus makes this claim that we should honor him and worship him in this way, this is a bold claim. And the Jewish people at this time, the leaders understood what Jesus was saying and the disciples knew what Jesus was saying. You see, the leaders looked and they said, man, if you're claiming that we should worship you as God, that, that means you're demanding all of our lives. Jesus is like, yes, and they're like, let's kill him then. Let's kill this guy because we do not want to submit to him as our king. The disciples heard the same truths and they believed and they're like, okay, you're wanting us to, to worship you and honor you and follow you for you are God, okay, then we'll leave all of this behind and we'll kill ourselves. Everything that we used to hope for and have dreams in, we'll let those things go in order to follow and honor you in every aspect of our lives. And that's the responses that we truly have today. We can either hear what Jesus is saying and say, let's kill that man. Let's be done with him. Or we can look at our lives and say, I've got to decrease and he's got to increase. So I will die that I might live. This is where they are in this moment. And Jesus, knowing our rebellion and knowing the tension in our heart and knowing the sin in his grace and his mercy, he's like, I want you to honor me, but you haven't honored me. You've dishonored me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stoop down and stand in your place and take on your penalty for I am God. So I will die on a cross and take on this dishonor that you deserve. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take on the penalty for your sins that you deserve in your place. You see, our sins were worthy of an eternal death. And Jesus absorbed that eternal death on the cross in a matter of hours. The only way that that is possible is that Jesus was simultaneously man dying in our place and the God with infinite might to absorb the wrath of hell that we deserved. And Jesus does it because he is the God-man, 100% God and 100% man. So hear those words today. And don't just hear them though. Don't just hear that we're sinners in need of a savior. But hear and believe them. That's the second thing we need to see is believe the truths of Jesus today. Now, what I want to do with the next several passages, I want us to read a little bit and talk about it, and read a little bit and talk about it. And the reason why is because what Jesus does in this moment is he's like, hey guys, I want you to believe in me. But he knows the human heart is defaulted to disbelief. We know it. Just look at our culture today. I mean, when you were buying your first car, and You're like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to buy this car. I need to get a uh, a loan out for it. The loan, the people at the bank are like, okay, we will give you a loan, but we don't trust you yet. You're too young, and so we need a cosigner, right? So come in here and get a cosigner, somebody that's older that we trust is going to actually pay these bills. Get a cosigner in here, why? Because they don't believe you, right? They don't believe you. It's the same if you try to get a credit card. Like, uh, no, we need a cosigner for that. And it's not even on loans. Even if you're applying for a job, what do you do? You get a resume out, you write your resume, here's where I've worked, here's my strengths, here's the things that I'm good at. And then what's the very last thing that you put in there? References. Why do you put references in there? Because people don't believe you, right? We're defaulted to this belief. You're like, okay, you say you have all these skills, you say you do all these things. Show us, give us a list of people who will say, yeah, what you're claiming is true. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. Jesus is pleading, please believe in me and find life. But I know your heart is bent towards disbelief. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lay out five witnesses, five things for you to look at in order to trust in these truths and believe. And so first he's gonna say in 25, look back with me as we read it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. That's important. We're gonna get back to that in a second. He said, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. But then he says, don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to a resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All right, let's pause there for just a second. The first witness that Jesus is going to talk about is look to the resurrection. And this isn't speaking of his resurrection at this moment. We'll get there, and that will be a proof to believe that he is God. Absolutely. But Jesus starts here and he's like, guys, you're questioning whether you want to believe or not? He says, look in verse 25. A time is coming and is now here. It's here. What's going on this time? The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. What Jesus is talking about in that moment is spiritual resurrection, that there are people who are spiritually dead. God's word is very clear with that. When we sin, God doesn't place us in his doghouse we're just in the doghouse of sin and if we whine and we whimper enough then maybe God will invite us from the doghouse back into his house again and we'll be in good presence with him. No, God's word is clear that when we have sin we aren't in the doghouse, we're in the morgue. We're in the morgue. And what Jesus has been doing even up to this point in John is he is resurrecting people who are spiritually dead to life. He said it's happening right now. Just look around. Just look. couple weeks ago we looked at the woman at the well this woman who is spiritually thirsty her soul is thirsty she's been trying to find her approval in all these different men in her life and Jesus says hey I've got living water and you'll never thirst again and this lady's life is changed radically radically changed and she lives differently from then on Jesus saying go talk to that lady Go see how God has changed her life and even that town because of her story. Jesus even says, hey, you know what? Go talk to the paralyzed man that I just healed that you're all upset about. Go talk to him because Jesus looked at man and said, go and sin no more. Look at his life. Look at how he has been changed. Look at these lives that have been spiritually raised from the dead. Even earlier in chapter five, you see the official coming and begging for Jesus to heal. And what we find is the official and his family believes. He says, go talk to those people. Look at these changed lives. They're all witnesses to to who I am. That I am God, the one who can heal, the one who can save, the one who redeems. This is who I am. So he says, go look. Go look at these people's lives. But then he also talks about a coming resurrection, a physical resurrection. In verse 28, he says, hey, don't just marvel at this. Don't just marvel at lives that were changed. He says, for there's an hour that is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, will hear my voice and will come out, the good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. Just like, hey guys, you're looking at these lives change, but just wait. You're gonna see people come out of the tombs. You're gonna see a man named Lazarus who I literally bring from the tomb. You're gonna see me as I have been resurrected from death to life. It's coming. And even more than that, there's a day that is coming where every single person will be resurrected. Everyone who's ever lived in the history of the world, either to a resurrection of life or to a resurrection of judgment. The church family, this is why we believe in taking the gospel from neighborhoods to nations as a church. Because we know that this day is coming. And we plead, just like Jesus is pleading in this moment for those that are hostile towards him. Would you believe? Would you believe in the good news of Jesus so that when you're resurrected one day, it's not to judgment and death, but it is to life and life everlasting? Church, this is why we pray for the lost. This is why we are faithful to give, that the gospel will go out. And you'll see a video here at the end of service today where we've been able to support a missionary that is reaching out to refugees in the Middle East. It's amazing how he's sharing the gospel and seeing people believe in Jesus. And because of your generosity and your faithfulness, you get to play a part in that. And I've been encouraged to hear, not just in the nations, but in our neighborhoods, how you have been faithful to love and share the gospel with people, whether it's friends or coworkers or family members. You've been doing that. And I just wanna affirm, because this is the heartbeat of Jesus, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That we would continue to do the same thing as a church, to love a people who even reject Jesus and continue to tell him, but there's life extended to you. Would you believe Would you believe? But he doesn't just say, look to the resurrection. He also gives another witness. Going on in verse 30, he says, I can do nothing of my own, but I hear and I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me. Here's the second one. I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John. That's the second witness, John. That's John the Baptist. And he bore witness to me, to the truth. Now the testimony that I've received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John, he's a burning and a shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You see, he's like, you can look at the lives around, but also look at John. The reason why Jesus is pointing to John It's because John was considered a religious elite at that time. And remember, this is not John who wrote the gospel, John. This is John the Baptist. And John was a guy who had got a crowd, got a massive following, and he's out in the wilderness. He's outside of the city preaching, and people are willing to leave the comforts of the city to go out and to listen to what John is saying. They're like, man, something about this guy is worth my time to go out to a place where there is no food or drink to listen to what he has to say. So John had this clout in the religious area. He's like, go listen to that guy. This guy seems to know something about God. And you even rejoiced a little while at his testimony. A little while. Listen to what he has to say. Now what did John say about Jesus? If you've been here for a whole series, you've seen it. John chapter 1 and John chapter 3. First in John chapter 1, John's clear. He's like, behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He points at Jesus and he's like, Hey guys, let me be a witness. Let me tell you who this dude is. Jesus is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And then chapter three, he's gonna say, Hey, Jesus, this is the man who is God, who needs to increase while I decrease. And so he has this, this clout of following that people are there. And he's like, listen to this guy who seems to have a reputation. But another reason why I'd say good to look to John is because John was the cousin of Jesus. I mean, how many of you guys would ever have your cousin claim that you're the Lamb of God, right? That you have to increase so they decrease. You wouldn't. I mean, you could go talk to any of my cousins and they might say, behold, Ryan, a nice guy, but not behold the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. They might say to you, behold Ryan the guy who eats turkey and ham at the holidays like really well but not behold the man who's who's come to that I that I may decrease that he would increase you see John had seen Jesus his entire life if anyone knew of a fault or a sin in their lives it would have been John and John looks at this man and he's like I'm a witness to tell you this is who he says he is is true this is who he is But Jesus even goes on. He's like, okay, those two witnesses aren't enough. I've got a greater witness for you. Verse 36. But the testimony that that I have that is greater than John, for the works that my Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The third witness he's going to give you is his works. He says, look at my life. Look at the works that I've done. Look at the miracles of the life of Jesus. You see, the miracles of Jesus aren't just Parlor tricks. Jesus isn't just trying to start up a on the road circus. These are all signposts that are pointing to something greater. And these people aren't looking at Jesus' miracles and works as signposts to point to who he is. They're sitting back and they're just questioning, like, how did he do that? Not asking, why did he do that? Or what is this telling us about him? They never stop to question what the miracles were communicating about Jesus. And he's saying, guys, look at my life. Everything about me is telling you that I am who I say that I am. You see, he's saying basically this. Look at the works. Watch as I take water and turn it into wine. But that's just a signpost to something much greater. Watch me as I take the sins that were red as scarlet and I make them white as snow. He's gonna say, guys, you're gonna be impressed that I can walk on water? Man, that's just a signpost to when I will step out and I will walk over sin. And I will trample sin and death and Satan under my feet. You see, there is something much, much greater that's going on in this moment. And he's like, guys, open your eyes and just look at what I'm doing. And if that wasn't enough, he gives another witness in verse 37. He says, and the Father, God the Father who has sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice, whom you have never heard, and form you have never seen, and do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe, is the one who has sent me. He says, guys, God the Father has spoken on my behalf. He's a witness for me. I love the grace and the mercy of Jesus right now. Like Jesus knows how deep our disbelief is in our heart, and He's going to continue to give us witness after witness after witness. You see, at the baptism of Jesus, when He started His ministry, He gets baptized in the water and he comes out and from heaven, God the Father speaks. From heaven, the Holy Spirit descends and Jesus is there as well. All three in one, God is all in that moment. And God the Father speaks in that moment. He speaks. He says, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Now, it wasn't just John and Jesus in the water. There was a crowd, there was a multitude of people that had come out to talk to John the Baptist and they all are hearing this. And Jesus is like, God has already spoken. Talk to the people who were there who heard it. Listen to what they're saying and and speak to them. Believe that you would find life. But God the Father didn't just speak in that moment. He had been speaking for years through the scriptures. That's the fifth witness that he gives in verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you will have eternal life. And that is that they bear witness about me. The scriptures bear witness about Jesus. And verse 40, it's one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible to me. He says, yet you refuse. You refuse to come to me that you would have life. Jesus said, I do not receive glory from people, but I know, I know that you do not love God, and have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one comes in his own name, you'll receive him. But how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And Jesus is saying that I'm the hero of the whole Testament, the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, the whole Bible, that it's all about me, it's all about me, that what Moses was talking about ultimately pointed to me, all the commands that he gave ultimately is fulfilled in me, all the promises that we see in the Old Testament are ultimately fulfilled in me. He's like, read the scriptures and you'll see that I'm fulfilling them all. And yet, with all of these witnesses, it says in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I mean, we have to ask the question okay, if there are all these witnesses that are there, why aren't these people believing? And how is it that we in our culture and our time have more evidence, both historically and archaeologically, than they even had at this time? We have the witnesses on top of these witnesses, and we still don't believe. Why is it that we choose not to believe? What Jesus tells us in verse 44 He tells us the sin of our hearts that caused disbelief. Did you see it? He says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? and do not seek glory that comes from only God. Let me practically say this. What Jesus is saying here is that you care more about what other people think of you than what God thinks of you. And that's why you don't have life. You hear, you know the truths, but you don't believe them. You would rather seek after the glory of others than the glory that is found in God. You see, we care far more what our bosses think than what our Savior thinks. We care too much about what our culture tweets about us than what Jesus thinks about us. We care far more about that guy or that girl that we think loves us and what they think about us than the creator of the universe that formed you and knitted you together in your mother's womb. That's what Jesus is saying in that moment. You love what other people think about you far, far more than what God thinks about you. And when you live like that, you'll never believe. You see, a disbelief like this plants the seed in our heart of ego, or maybe insecurity. And that seed is demanding all the water of our belief. So if we're gonna run after our own ego and glory of the world, or whether we're gonna have so much insecurities in our hearts that we run to just being people pleasers. Both of those seeds in our heart will evaporate any belief that we have in Jesus Christ. Just will. Paul in the book of Galatians says it like this He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? If you live for the approval of man in this world, then you will never be a servant of Christ. You'll never find life. You'll hear, but you will never believe, and you will never find life. That's what he's saying, and that's what we're sucked into. You see, we don't doubt or disbelieve because of a lack of information, but a lack of love for God in our hearts. You see, the mind will not consider what the heart is already condemned If you already love the approval of others more than God, then that's where your heart and your mind will always rest. So where's your heart today? Is there a person that has more of your affection than God? Is there a job or a position or a thing that has more of your purpose and glory in life than your creator? You see, Jesus is worthy of all of our lives and has called us to hear that truth. But then also to believe it with all of our lives, because He is worthy of our lives, worthy of our lives twice over, for He created us and is worthy of our life, and He has redeemed us, so He's worthy of our life. So would you hear the words of Jesus and believe the witnesses about Jesus, and to the end would you receive eternal life in Jesus? Receive the eternal life that's in Jesus. You see, what Jesus is laying out before these people is a free gift. If you would hear and believe, you would have life and life everlasting. You see, the gift of eternal life is a free gift, but it's still one that you have to receive. There are no grandchildren in the family of God, none. And what I mean by that is, it's not because your parents are Christians that make you Christians. They're only children of God. All of us, if we believe, we become a child of God. Your parents do not make you a Christian. You must hear and believe and respond to the gospel. Reading your Bible does not give you eternal life. Jesus calls the people out at this time of that verse thirty nine. He's like, you read the scriptures, you studied them, you memorized them because you think that they'll give you life. But the only bear witness is about me. What do you believe about me? You can search the scriptures all day, but if you do not look to Christ, you will never find eternal life. Many of us think. I'm fairly certain that I'm a believer and I go to church and I'm a part of Christian ministries. So man, by default, I've got to be a Christian, just by default. We don't default into Christianity. It's by a decision to choose to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Am I pleased that some of us today or even those online would hear and believe in Jesus that we would feel the reality of verse 24 when Jesus pleads to come and have eternal life may we not respond like these people did in verse 40 and refusing to come that they may have life who believe in order to believe we must receive in 1829 there was a man named uh, George Wilson true story George Wilson uh went and attacked a U.S. air carri- uh, a U.S. mail carrier, and that was a federal crime at that time in Pennsylvania, and he threatened the life of him through his act as well as things that he had stolen, and so he was arrested, thrown in prison, and put on trial, and while he was put on trial, they found him guilty, and his punishment was death for risking the death or trying to kill the death of this U.S. carrier. So they put him in prison and he had, I guess, friends in high places, and so word made it all the way up to President Jackson. Andrew Jackson was president at that time, and he hears about George Wilson. He's like, man, for just attacking a U.S. carrier, let's pardon him. And so he sent a pardon there to the sheriff. The sheriff goes, and he brings it up to George, and he hands him the pardon. He's like, you've been pardoned for your crimes. And we don't know why, but George Wilson's like, I don't want it. He refused to accept the pardon. Well, the sheriff didn't know what to do. And so he brought it to the court. That court didn't know what to do, so they brought it up. And it made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. You can go read about this case. George Wilson versus the United States. And what the U.S. uh, Supreme Court ruled was this. This is a quote. They said, A pardon is not complete without acceptance. And may them be rejected by the person in whom it is tendered. And if rejected, the court will not force the pardon upon him. And the same is true for us today. The pardon for our sins and our guilt have been taken on the cross of Christ. And the pardon is extended to us, an invitation is given if we would believe. But we have to believe and receive, or we will not have life. It's not just enough that we hear. But we need to hear, believe, as we believe, we find life. Bow your heads with me. To my non-Christian friend in the room or online, would you say yes to Jesus today? Would you receive his pardon? You're not defaulted into Christianity because your parents are Christians or your friends are Christian or because our American culture seems Christian. It's a decision that you make. The pardon is extended to you through the life and the death of Jesus Christ. So will you look to the one who will free you from your sin and give to you not just eternal life, but abundant life. The work has already been done through the life and the death of the resurrection of Jesus. Would you hear that? Would you believe that and find life? Pray to Him today. For those of us who are Christians, who have received the pardon of Jesus, would you today still remember and hear these truths that Jesus is equal with God. The one who saved your soul can provide for your daily needs. So why are you living in a sin of anxiety? Jesus is clear, he says it, do not worry, but trust in me. Would you look to him for your daily needs? Some of you say, I know I've believed in Jesus, but I still fear fear that judgment day, the day that is coming where Jesus is coming back again. Everybody will be raised. I fear that day. Would you hear today and believe that the day of judgment in the past helps you to move forward in confidence for the day of judgment in the future? That because Jesus was judged in your place on that cross, that you can have hope that your sins are washed away that you can believe and find life and life everlasting, even in your day-to-day life. For the Christian who is struggling with worth and feeling that they have to seek approval from our world and from others, would you look to the one who has promised you, if you come to him, you will find acceptance and love. You will find your purpose and your worth. You don't have to fear or, or have anxieties or worry, but you can trust in him. Would you do that today? Would you trust in the promises of Jesus, the promises that give us hope and peace and salvation in him? Hear, believe, and find life. Jesus, thank you for extending that pardon to us. Thank you because of what you have done, you can give us life, and I pray that you would do that. Give us that eternal life today and give us that abundant life this week. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand now, let's sing.